0: since brevity is the soul of wit.
1: More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo? Wherefore art thou, Romeo?
0: To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward. An infinite and endless liar. An hourly promise-breaker. The owner of no one good quality, worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth... Test too much things. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Ed. I'm Lindsay. And this is the Big Spot.
1: And today we are here to discuss the first of the epic later tragedies that yeah. Shakespeare wrote, Julius the, Caesar. The big ones. The big ones, yes. Yeah. The ones that we study in school and and that everybody talks about when they talk about the great works of William Shakespeare, you know, the Hamlets and the Othellos and the Julius Caesars. Julius Caesars, so, Caesars. yeah. <laughs> um, this is I've been looking forward to for a long time. I don't know about you, Aiden. Um, I'd never read the play. I've seen it yep. performed, but I've never read it. So this is a first for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what did you think of the play?
0: Uh, it's It's a quick read. Uh, and it's it's an engaging play in a in a strange way. It's another one of those ones where, as you're going through it, you're kind of like, uh, who's the main character here and right. what's going on and why is Ju- oh my god Julius Caesar's dead halfway through and it's like it's, it's
1: spoilers it's, <laughs> Jesus.
0: Well, I haven't even gotten to the 30 second synopsis <laughs> yet, but uh, yes, yeah, spoiler alert, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a strange play. Um, but it works in its oddities. It is very concerned about um, a few choice uh, themes, I guess you could say, yes. and it explores those very well and very interestingly. So I
1: will say I had I struggled with the beginning of it partly because I was reading it on my lunch hour, so it always I, hard. My mind was elsewhere. Yeah. But the last from like Act Three, from the from Shakespeare's sorry, from Shakespeare's murder, from Caesar's murder onto the end, it really picks up and that's where I think a lot of the um, the more famous themes and the more famous ideas uh, start to huh. take fruit. Okay. I think. Yeah. I will maybe, say the beginning yeah. part has a lot more of the famous stuff. The, yeah. Yeah. Beware the Ides of March and the fault in our stars the fault in our stars uh like a colossus yes you know all of those lines are, are in the beginning but they're they come to fruition in the end and i think that's where the it just picked up for me i think that's fair um as you mentioned you are in charge of the 30 second synopsis today so are you ready to go
0: I believe so. Lindsay, prepare for 20 seconds of the first scene and then <laughs> 10 seconds to summarize the rest.
1: Well, you tell me when you're ready to go. I'm ready. Okay, go.
0: So, Julius Caesar comes back from his conquest, and they want to make him king, and uh, Cassius and Brutus don't want that, so they plan to murder him, and then, spoiler alert, they murder him in the middle of the play, uh, and then it falls into civil war, because they don't murder Mark Antony, who was uh, Caesar's right-hand man. Uh, they, the two sides fall into civil war, and they raise up armies, and they fight, and then at the end, Mark Antony wins with uh, Octavius Caesar, and uh, Brutus and Cassius lose and kill themselves, on the field of battle, impressive. That was good. That was really I good. I have to actually. say that like, might be
1: the best one. That yes. might be the best one. What I've have ever you done. eaten today?
0: Uh, well, I'm currently drinking a Starbucks uh, refresher smoothie, something or other. So I think the the little hint of caffeine in here. You literally
1: just it. started drinking it, though. I can't. I don't think we can describe. Well, I think it helped. <laughs> it, it would be it would be like like saying that the stars did. You know, I, I just I don't. They know. aligned
0: for me, babe. They aligned for yeah. you. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> well then, um, thank you very, very much, Aiden, for setting up the um, the plot of the play. Yes. I think when we're dealing with um, Shakespearean plays that have historical subject matter, um, as we've done with the history plays, the strict history plays. Okay. Um, I think it's good to take a look at the the source material. Yes. Now, neither one of us read Plutarch's Lives or mm-hmm. any of the Suetonius uh
0: There are, there uh, are a few different sources yeah. or, or
1: any of the any of the original sources. We have not read those. But um Shakespeare drew on a couple of different sources, mostly, um, if I'm not mistaken, the thomas north translation of plutarch's lives which was contemporaneous with with shakespeare and from all accounts he got a lot of it pretty much right he didn't i mean these are people who were very like they plutarch and suetonius are writing these these things roughly
0: close to close to the date
1: it's not like shakespeare writing about julius caesar there's not that much difference in time obviously between um between the events but he did take some liberties with with some of what's happening mostly with the dates and and that's something shakespeare likes to do is just condense things (laughs) into like all of these things happen in a one like on the same day shakespeare (laughs) kills caesar and has brutus and mark antony delivering the speeches and the will being read and caesar's body being um, put on display all within the same 24-hour period Which adheres nicely with the Greek unities that yes, you you want to have when you're on stage, but um, not so much with history. Not but, so much with history, but but, yeah, but, but again, it's allowable it because yeah. it, it yeah. yeah it keeps the pace going. If yeah. you had to you know take a break for two days and then come back for <laughs> Mark Antony's speech, it loses something, yeah. right? Um, but uh, by all accounts, this is what happened. I mean, you have a, a man who um, achieves a lot of great things. As Aiden mentioned, he he. How many how many triumphs did Caesar win?
0: Actually, get I don't I don't even know to be honest. Um, there was
1: at one point he had four at a time. He he wanted to do four <laughs> at once. <laughs> oh. And I, I watched a documentary, a short little. It was one of those like animated.
0: Oh uh, yeah, history, history ones. ones. Yeah. yeah. Kind of
1: like the 10-Minute History yeah, ones, yeah, yeah, but I yeah. don't know if it was 10-Minute History yeah. or whatever the name of the channel is now, yeah. the YouTube channel. But he had four in a row, and, and one of them was definitely earned, and the other ones were kind of like, eh, maybe yeah. we could dispute this. Well, but, yeah. I mean, having having these, these triumphal marches that he – he had quite a few of them. He was a, a decorated military leader, I believe. Yeah. So – um, and, and the fact that uh, Rome was a republic – but there's this charismatic, powerful leader who's mm-hmm. risen through the ranks. Not really; he was born into nobility, but um, oh, but
0: he, he, I mean, there were lots of nobles. <laughs> there were lots and, of no- and lots of nobles. He and did and rise he, through the ranks, very and quickly.
1: he he went into great amount of debt in order to get there because at the time, money literally bought power. Um, it still does, but <laughs> yeah.
0: but it was very prominent in Rome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I mean, it was a threat to the republic. I think that one man was rising above everybody else, and so. Yeah having these conspirators kind of defending the republic defending rome from one man's ambition that's that's totally shakespeare's wheelhouse you know what i mean and so um he doesn't he doesn't deviate too too much from
0: the main thrust of the because of the story because it works and it is
1: it's like a cinematic true story like how often does that happen in real life probably more often than we know but yeah
0: maybe but i mean this is the reason why people keep coming back to to Caesar, because I mean, there's there's all sorts of stories. You can do him against the Gauls and versus I think. And you know, like yeah, I oh think was it was it Caesar who you know built the fort and then he got surrounded by the enemy and then he built a fort around the enemy. I think that was Caesar that, as well. Well,
1: yeah, they they were attacking <laughs> versus and yeah, the, it, he was in the fort. They yes, that's right. The fort, and then he built a wall around them, and then they called in reinforcements. So he, he built, built another wall around. Like it was, yeah. just, I, I'm pretty sure that was Caesar. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So. <laughs> You know this guy. He he has a bunch of very interesting. Well, and and lots of
1: lots of personal vendettas. I mean, this is the great thing about Rome and the Senate. It's very politically um, in line with what we deal with today. You mm-hmm. know, you look at the characters from the Roman Senate at the time, and it's like, oh well, there's, you know, your Mitch McConnell, and there's your mm. Pierre Poli, pol whatever, po, Poly, whatever the guy is. You can't is. do you the don't Canadian, do the Canadian Mitch McConnell, Canadian uh, Mitch McConnell. <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah. your Barack Obama. There's your John McCain. Sure, like I mean, you, not you can, really. But, well, but my point is, is that you can see these personalities come out. So Shakespeare, oh, I'm going to do this all over, calling Caesar Shakespeare the whole time. <laughs> this is really going to. That's okay. I'm turning into you. Um,
0: <laughs> messing up the names.
1: Caesar had a lot of enemies too, and yes. so there's a well, lot he of points of all of them conflict.
0: Essentially, yeah. Um, and it, so let's let's go into a little bit of the history of the guy because he. I mean, it's it's. I think it's more the story of Rome that's important, but I think Julius Caesar—the fact that he's in the title—and just to give a context of what uh, was in the minds of Brutus and yeah. Cassius and everything um, when they're when they're stabbing him in the back, literally—is <laughs> uh, that he was he was born into a wealth family, as you mentioned. Um, he's, Not born
1: by cesarean section, interestingly enough.
0: Oh, that was one of the myths. So that's about an him, apocryphal right? yeah, thing yeah, because yeah.
1: typically cesarean sections are performed. They were performed at the time, but the mother died. And yeah, yeah. it was like a last minute. Yeah. Alive it was a way to a save the life. child.
0: If exactly, they were both going to yeah. die. Yeah, um, and yeah, from the earliest days, he was like right in the middle of the civil strife that was the Roman Republic at the time. Uh, he has this famous story of he was kidnapped by some pirates or he fell into some pirates. I don't remember exactly. He was what on happened. his way
1: to Rhodes, I believe, for yes. some kind of um, schooling and rhetoric. Yes, which is hilarious. Well. I but mean, but it, was, it was
0: what it was, right? I mean, he would have learned Greek what's and everything. the style at the time? Exactly. He was kidnapped uh, by pirates, so yes. wasn't Yes. And then he... Uh he famously, they were going to ransom him and he asked how much they were going to ransom him for. And he's like, oh, no, no, that's not good enough. You don't know who I am. I'm Julius Caesar. Double it. Yeah. And then and they did. And they wanted to kill him because he was practicing his rhetoric on the uh, pirates as they sailed yeah. back to uh, ransom him. He, so, he did end
1: up killing all the pirates. Yeah, because course, um,
0: You don't cross Caesar.
1: Well, no, but also when he went to, I can't remember the name of the town that he stopped at. Um, where he was released, they refused to do anything. They were just going to take a bribe to let him go. So Caesar's like, well, screw that then. You know, the corruption was so bad. He's like, I'm just going to do it myself. So he had them all crucified. Yeah. Um, he he was clearly from a very powerful family.
0: He was. Um, and his military exploits started fairly young, too. Yeah. He, he fought against Spartacus, the famous Spartacus mm-hmm. uh, slave rebellion. Um, and he was in the Senate at the age of 32, uh, which is, yeah, you know, fairly young.
1: Well, I guess, I guess the Senate at the time... Um, Kind of like the US Senate or, or a lot of other political um, uh, positions you can hold, there's a minimum age requirement. Yeah. But not only that, I guess in the Roman Senate, your age would match the the title you had or something. Like yeah, you could limits, only yeah. be 32 and hold this position. You could only be 35 and hold this position. Well, it almost sounds like that's. Yeah, how it was. there was
0: basically like a hierarchy of positions and mm-hmm. you had to go through them in order. In order to get to eventually yeah. console, and that yeah. was like the goal. Of course, was and that was
1: definitely Caesar's goal. And, yeah, and I watched this this short documentary today about him and and how um, literally when you were in the Senate, when you were when you were part of the political arena, anything that you proposed, you had to pay for out of pocket. So if you wanted to fix a road, you were paying for it out of pocket, and the whole idea was that you were spending your own money to, for the betterment of of the republic. So that's. There would be people who were so, so heavily in debt doing these things to stay in power, but then the debt would catch up with them and they would do even more things to stay in power. So, I mean, the linkage of, of money and is is already... Um, in politics is yes. already a very and important. You're thing
0: getting to. to the nice transition that I wanted to head into, which Great. is the, the history of the Republic yeah, and where yeah. it is at this point. Because um, this is kind of the crux of of the the motivations for so when and when
1: was she- uh, Shakespeare? See, I did it again. <laughs> oh my god! When was Caesar killed? What year was it? I have no idea. Uh, it was 44. 44- B.C.
0: Okay, so, so. <laughs> there you have it. Um, so yeah, before the uh, the birth of Christ, let's yes. just say, uh, as a rough timeline measure. Um, but the Republic had officially been proclaimed, I, I don't remember the year either. I think it was like 454 B.C. or something like that. Oh, okay, it was, it was around there. Um, that's mostly you know that's conjecture. There's not hard evidence of the exact date of the Roman Empire or the Roman Republic founding. Mm. The kingdom was founded 300 years earlier. Uh, and it was a kingdom for three hundred years, and then they overthrew their their uh, master, their king, and formed a republic. Right. Um, it it, it last- was formed
1: in, in five ten B C. Five ten. Okay. Yeah. And go. lasted until twenty seven B C.
0: There you go. That's crazy. Uh, so it was it was a fairly long lasting thing, but again, it it's not clear exactly how long it existed in its purest form because there were so basically there was a did
1: it ever yeah well
0: potentially i mean okay it, it, i'll stop interrupting you. Just go because it is it is a little confusing yeah. it's it's um, there were the systems that were in place. It's like if you read just the Constitution of the United States, you'd think, oh, okay, that's how it's supposed to work. And then you realize there's all these things that just happen the way they happen because... Like
1: the Electoral College. No,
0: the Electoral okay. College is in the Constitution. <laughs> oh, I is say, it? Oh, yeah. so I don't
1: read the Constitution. Clearly.
0: Okay. So, but small things like... <laughs> like um,
1: Gerrymandering.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's not in the right. Constitution, but it's something that happens yes. in the American okay. Republic as it stands. Yeah. And there were a lot of things like that in uh, the Roman one. So there were all these positions these consuls uh proconsuls praetorian's these all these important public offices that again yeah you were supposed to go through in order um, and there were there were all sorts of fights between the plebs the plebeians and the the patricians over who had what access to what uh, political roles and all these things this happened over f- hundreds of years mm-hmm. forming these things and gradually long story short you know classics 101 summed up in tw- two sentences is Things gradually fell apart and it paved the way for, uh, the entrance of a singular power. This right. had been happening for, uh, there was a guy, I forget his name all the time. He, Marius. Yeah, it was Marius. He reformed the army, mm-hmm. uh, won a bunch of big battles. And of course that won him a bunch of prestige. And then he came back and he was like, well, maybe I'll just rule Rome. And then he got assassinated <laughs> and then right. the next guy kind of did follow through. And then Caesar's kind of like the, the final, uh, well, I guess the, uh, penultimate penultimate that's the word I was looking for he's the penultimate uh, kind of strongman figure right. in this d- decline of the Republic from a uh, Republic into uh, uh, you know a kingdom or an Empire as it eventually right. becomes under Octavius so uh, it is this kind of downward slope and it's the thing that the american framers had in mind they were like well we want to make sure this doesn't happen to our republic um they didn't think of gerrymandering of course in 1776 but that was kind or of the like tea party
1: <laughs> well, or well they Trump. had
0: thought of the tea party they well just yes had the original <laughs> tea party <laughs> but yeah but, so i mean this is this is obviously a very prescient play in that way because yeah. it is it is all about this long lasting republic that um, slides into autocracy, kind of and crumbles
1: under the weight of its own yeah, it just its own almost. Yeah,
0: it, it's it it falls apart because well, there's all sorts of assessments of why, but uh, basically it 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 had a sickness that was never treated. It right. was always treated by saying, oh, I'll fix it. Well, if we give power to this guy over here, yeah. he'll fix it. Yeah. And instead of actually dealing with the root problems, right. they just kept handing power to this person who could then say, oh, I'll fix it. Never fixed any of the problems that were damaging the republic. They might have fixed problem with a road mm-hmm. or they might have won the big war that they were worried about losing to Egypt or the the Gauls or whoever right they mm-hmm. were they were capable of uh fashioning power in a way of unifying everybody but not fixing the problems of the republic and the structure of right. of how power was supposed to be shared and used and not abused so it wound up just being abused so there's the just
1: end. there's there's a series of foundational issues with the Roman Republic yes. that could never, could never, or just weren't never. They were, they were, were never, not ever. Yeah, they, <laughs>
0: I think, like, I mean, again, this is open for like, literally, there are historians who write books about this. Why, what caused the fall of the Roman Republic? But the generally con- understood view, at least from my petite knowledge, uh, I don't know why I slipped into French there, uh, is that yeah, it, there were a bunch of underlying issues that went untreated, and it paved the way for. It one strong man to come in and mm-hmm. take over all power.
1: Interesting that we're releasing this episode on the day of the 2020. Yeah, happy election, uh, election. day to all
0: our American listeners. Yes.
1: <laughs> um because definitely if they're <laughs> if they're not watching the exit polls and then <laughs> CNN right now, they're listening to our podcast. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's um it is interesting because we're dealing with the fall of another great empire potentially mm-hmm. and um, and the fallout from that is being televised currently um, as we are, well, as we're recording this, it's a couple of weeks before the election, but uh, it's been on our television screens for the last... for the last four years.
0: Four basically. years.
1: But uh, but I think even you could go back to, like you said, the the problems with the American um, empire mm-hmm. um, predate the Trump presidency, oh, yeah. the, the first term of the Trump, hopefully the only term of the yes. Trump presidency. Um <laughs> This has been happening for a couple of decades. Yeah. So it is a prescient play, and that's something really interesting about um, how uh, relatable it is, yeah. I guess. Like, as we were reading this, I didn't realize we were releasing this on Election Day. It kind Until of— Until
0: we were watching it, and we are like, I hey. get,
1: Maybe the stars are aligning. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Fate and destiny are playing yeah. a, playing a hand here.
0: Um, but it—, it just to, before we jump into the actual play itself, yeah. I think it's important to note that that's why um, I think Shakespeare especially is is a little ambivalent about whether or not Brutus and Cassius, especially Brutus, are the heroes of the play or they're just the main characters because um, – there, there is a sense of cosmic justice. I mean, he has the ghost of Caesar come back and essentially punish them into committing suicide. Well, that's,
1: that's Shakespeare that's being Shakespeare, Shakespeare right? Yeah, True,
0: but it's also, you know, Shakespeare where the universe is going to make sense at the end of this because the tragedy is the, well, about their, by their own downfall.
1: Well, yeah, and that, that seems to be, um, whenever Shakespeare deals with any kind of political subject, there's always an attempt or a desire anyway to... Um, to right the wrongs and mm-hmm. set everything in balance again, and the the problem with Julius Caesar is that, uh, well, it's a problem and a gift maybe I guess uh, for the for his history plays, we we had very um, modern, contemporary to Shakespeare uh, political concerns in yes. the fact that you're talking about the ancestors of the sitting queen, so yeah. you had to be careful what you said. Yeah. There's none of that present here. You're yeah. not dealing with with relatives of, of Julius Caesar who are going to be upset or with Brutus and Cassius or yeah, any of yeah. the other conspirators um, who are going to be upset with you for, you know, slandering or or being libelous towards um, their ancestors. But on the flip side of that, there was no um, grand reunification. The, the, yeah. the state of Rome, the Republic, fell, you know, 13, no, 16 years, 17 years after the death of um, after the death, the death of Caesar. So having Mark Antony and Octavius at the end of the play, kind of assert. You know, they pull out this um, uh, Hamlet esque. Finale, right yeah, yeah. where there's the, Summer, the last yeah. man standing who says <laughs> who who kind of pardons everybody yeah. of wrongdoing and says we're moving forward. You're attempting that here, but without the historical underpinnings to make it true, which lends it a kind of there's an interesting like hindsight is twenty twenty kind of thing where well, it's almost ironic, you know.
0: Well, I mean that's the thing, like I'm, mean, and that's really what the the center heartbeat of the play is about mm-hmm. is the fact that they Brutus and cassius want to save the republic and, and they destroy saving. The well, well it's beyond saving yeah that, well that's, that's the thing. part because of it too they do try and save it uh but they were always going to fail because you pointed out when we were watching it just now uh earlier today Lindsay. um the senate wants to make him a king yes mark antony and the public want to make him a king yes everybody who has power wants to make him a king yeah so how can you possibly think you're going to overcome that desire to destroy the republic? Well, the republic wants to destroy itself. Well,
1: yeah, and and know? that and and so that's exactly it, right? That there's this um this dramatic irony of the yeah. you know Brutus and Cassius, Brutus especially. Yeah, he's so um, devoted
0: to the, yeah, doing it all for the republic. For the republic, but we
1: know that the republic doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, you're not going to survive to see you you're going to have a hand in in, in literally setting into motion the events that will lead to its downfall and that's the the great um tragedy of brutus i think right Mm -hmm. and that's why i think brutus is um probably the main character i think you could make a really good argument yeah i I think so um he's he is the main character he's the protagonist in a way yeah and cassius is and kind of like a- Caesar, the antagonist. I don't know, no, maybe not. But the yeah. other thing, the other part of it that <laughs> I was going to say is that um, there's the the mob mentality of the people, and we've yeah. seen this time and time again with Shakespeare that um, the rabble can't be trusted. Right? We saw it in uh, Henry the Sixth, Part Two, with the the. The peasants that
0: John Cade and the rebellion,
1: yeah, Yeah. Uh, Jack Cade. Jack Cade. Well, it doesn't matter; they're the same name, basically. Yeah, yeah, Jack Cade's rebellion, and we see it here with just how easy it is to sway a crowd of people Mm -hmm. with good oratory. Yeah, Um, you almost have an identical scene with the the um, the plebeians killing. Sinna the poet, yes, which is very, very similar to Henry VI when they kill or they the the lawyer, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and and it's like it's just the will of the people run amok, right? Mm-hmm. And how easy it is to sway a crowd um, if you're good at swaying a crowd. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the people are dumb, yep. right? And I think that's uh, again an interesting choice, but it's not. It's not a unique one for Shakespeare because he does this a lot. He doesn't really trust the people, which is funny because, you know, where we've led is to, by and large, we we all, you know, a lot of us live in democracies. We live in, in where the people have all the say and... Um, ostensibly. Ostensibly. <laughs> and so, but we, we do run the risk of uh, mob-like tyranny from mm-hmm. time to time. Mm-hmm. So was shakespeare onto something i don't know what 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 is he what is he saying about um yeah about the people well right?
0: no, it's about power generally right like yeah like i was saying like there's there's different sources of power here um but the 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 third act switcheroo that that changes the fate of all the characters is that mob scene it's yeah. it's the and i think this is something that shakespeare uh hints at it a bunch of times is that real power is in the people um, he hints at it all the time, and this is his most famous example because, yeah. the, you know, when Brutus gives his speech, you know, the the power is firmly in his hand. He walks off stage, and Mark Antony, in the "Friends, Romans, Countrymen" uh, speech, just turns it all around into um, him having a hundred percent of the power, and basically the 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 whole struggle at that point is over, and the power again rests in the people and their ability. His mark antony and later octavius's ability to control and sway the people but brutus that.
1: has that ability to he star- well he
0: starts off that way but then he's too stupid to exercise it, and he doesn't want it. he wants to say the republic should have the power he wants the senate to have the power and then the senate doesn't want the power <laughs> the senate wants to yeah. crown a king you know it's 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 that inability to understand that he's lost it is it is the biggest dramatic irony and mm-hmm. i think it's something shakespeare's audience probably would have known maybe better than you or i like again I had to I've studied a little bit of Roman history but it's not like we learned this in a high school or right, anything like no. that right like it, it's it's totally foreign to us to to have this in the back of your head that this is all failure and all of this is is just patching up mm-hmm. holes in the in the power uh, structure of the republic right yeah. so i think but i think shakespeare takes it for granted that you know this is going to end poorly for brutus and that his entire effort is doomed and he's he's really shown as quite stupid. I mean, like, he literally... He's the one who vetoes killing Mark Antony. Yeah. He's the one who says, Mark Antony should speak after us at yeah. the funeral. And then at the end, uh, he decides, oh, we should go meet Mark Antony in right. battle as opposed to playing on the defensive. And you're just like, Cassius, smack this guy up in the head because <laughs> he's an idiot. Like, he has no idea what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet, he is kind of a sympathetic character because he has this idealism, I think. he yeah. he He kind of wants the power to be in the hands of the people um, but the thing, at the same time, he, but, when it goes there, he doesn't like the outcome.
1: Well, and I think that's that's the the power of what Shakespeare is doing is 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 the will of the people a good thing? I mm-hmm. think he's making you ask that question yep. because we can see how easily they change their minds. Are are they to be trusted? Yeah, I don't think Shakespeare is someone who would champion. Um, a, a republic yeah, yeah. in in England in the you know 17th century. He's yeah. not going to stand up and say yes. We should all have a vote. Yeah. You know, like I don't think that's something that Shakespeare or many people would um, would have signed on for at mm-hmm. this time. So I'm not sure that he's um, that he's making us sympathize with Brutus because he shares Brutus's ideals about republicanism. Mm-hmm. But. Um, but we do still sympathize with him, and I think there are a lot of reasons why that is, and they, they have to do with basic human nature things, yeah. trust and love and friendship and um, the desire to see balance restored and and these kinds of things. But mm-hmm. we'll we'll get into that. I think our conversation about power is is, is important, and I, I kind of want to shift back to this um, because you said at the, a few minutes ago that um, – Caesar didn't seize power for himself. He was offered it and he turned it away. And we argued about this a little bit when we were reading the play because I don't see Caesar as being the ambitious person that Cassius mm-hmm. convinces Brutus he is. Yeah. But you do.
0: Yeah. How? Because he was ambitious his whole life and this was just okay, the next you, step.
1: Right. But within within, <laughs> within the, the play, context of like the play, yeah. like without looking at the historical well,
0: I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I think I think I think the play is ambiguous mm-hmm. on that front. I, I think, again, though, Shakespeare's audience would have associated Caesar, the Tsar, the Kaiser, <laughs> you know, the, the emperor of Rome as being someone who holds power and wants power. So I, I think even just by, you know, name analogy alone, you kind of walk in being like, oh, yeah, Caesar's an ambitious guy. Well,
1: and anybody who is in a position of power probably is going
0: to. Yeah. Have seek desired to it, yeah. Increase, increase that it. power, yeah. and and it's kind of an assumption. But I, th- I, I agree. I think the the play. Sorry, I don't agree, but I kind of agree. Yeah, I agree that the I think that the play is am- ambiguous. I think it, it very much has you question. It. I think that's what the two contrasting speeches yeah. of Brutus and and Mark Antony get at is was he ambitious? He there's no evidence of it necessarily. We offered yeah. him the crown, he didn't want it, so he clearly was not ambitious. But Brutus is a good man, so you yeah. know, like you have that, and then you also have. Brutus and Cassius's real fears that, you know, this is an ambitious guy. Everybody knows he's an ambitious man. So far they, his The ambush- Senate
1: is going to yeah. ask
0: him to be king. They and, will
1: offer it to him. Yeah. They and, haven't and, yet, but they
0: will. And so far. His ambition has been for the betterment of Rome, but can you ever trust that to always be the case? Sure. That's why it's why you have a republic. But it's an
1: it's an anxiety. It's not yeah. based on reality. It's based on on it, um, it's, paranoia almost, yeah, right? To an
0: extent, yeah. Which
1: Shakespeare is very good at writing. It's not as as clearly evident here. There's not the same kind of descent into madness that. Um, someone like Macbeth has or yeah. uh, uh, I mean you or something like that he does see a ghost, ghost and that's yeah. not a good sign but um, <laughs> but it's not he's seeing a ghost because he's going mad he's seeing a ghost because his conscience is still there but he's he retains a kind of clarity of mind Brutus does mm-hmm. um, until the end and and he is held up as an honorable character at the end yeah. um, so yeah. I, I guess I, I I kind of always I don't struggle so much with why Brutus agreed to assassinate Caesar. I think he's 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 just an anxious person and he's afraid of what might happen. And that's something that is also very relatable. You know, acting out of fear is not um, acting from a position of wisdom mm-hmm. necessarily, unless your fear tells you to avoid the bear that's coming after you. <laughs> exactly. Um, but in this case, the fear may not have been un- may not have been it may have been unfounded. Yeah, I- is that there? Yes. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Right. Yes. yes. Um, yeah.
0: So I mean, it's in it's it's a good question about like um, so why. I mean, Brutus does it for the for the because of that source of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but does he have any other motivations? There's there's always that kind of question when when it comes to politics in, in Shakespeare. And it's, well, it seems
1: like he has a lot of motivations not to. He's friends with yeah. Caesar. Um, well, Caesar's that, yeah. been a good person to him. Mm-hmm. They they you know. So there seems to be a lot more reasons for him not to, yes. which
0: and, Make and his he, choice so much more interesting. Yeah, because again. he even
1: says that he's like. You know, in his speech, he talks about how much he loved Shakespeare, how Caesar. much he loved Caesar, <laughs> how much he loved Caesar. Um, but he loved Rome more. Yes, yes. And that that I think is is the t- most telling part about yeah. why he did what he did was because Rome and the Republic meant more to him, which is a weird thing. I don't – it's a very nationalistic thing. I, I can't relate to that. I, I don't think I would ever put – Canada above my friendships with somebody else and you know
0: if you were friends with a dictator you wouldn't shoot him in the head
1: I I can't <laughs> relate to that I don't have there's no. no frame of
0: reference for me for that when they're gonna start rounding up minorities and putting them in camps perhaps you wouldn't okay choose, yeah well, that's that's, that's, that's okay. the risk of dictatorship right like but
1: the risk is I don't know I guess I guess <laughs> I don't even as an anxious person, I don't see <laughs> the bad in people. Maybe I'm too
0: naive. That's, but, that's fair.
1: But I don't, I don't see that Caesar has done anything bad enough to warrant his assassination.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think, again, the play leads you towards that because especially in terms of that, I mean, you get like he's on he's on stage for such a short, short mm-hmm. period of time. He gets warned about the Ides of March and he's like, ah, and then he goes off mm-hmm. and then you, he's off stage when he's handed the crown. You don't even get to see no. that aspect of it. Then you get him and his wife. And that's yeah. basically it. That's yeah. the whole appearance. And it's him saying, oh, I'm Caesar. I, everyone should be afraid of me. Not I should yeah. never be afraid of anything else. Yeah. It's really almost just setting up the dramatic irony of him getting stabbed to death. Right. That's his whole purpose. You don't get much of a character, so mm. you don't get the chance to make that judgment for yourself. You're you're taking it at face value, from, based on
1: what Mark Antony, Brutus, Cassius, what yeah, they all say about. Yeah,
0: him. it's very much second person or secondhand characterization. Mm. It's 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 a good way of telling the story because I think Shakespeare latched onto a really important part, which is that Caesar again is is better as an ideal. Yeah, and you don't want to give an ideal too much character Character. because you just want him to be able to be talked about you yeah. want him to be the dynamic well and that's the thing. only
1: way that's the only way that you can set up the kind of struggle that you do have in this play, Mm -hmm. which is about people's perception of a a man. Um, It's the the exact same thing that makes horror movies so great when they don't show the evil thing that's lurking around the corner because the idea of it is so much more terrifying than actually seeing it. So if we had seen Caesar reject the crown, if we had seen Caesar reach for the crown, if we had seen him do anything all of a sudden he's he's cemented in our heads as this way.
0: Yeah, we have a we have, we're making our own judgments.
1: Yes, and, and we, that we can't do that takes away from that. the audience exactly. yeah from
0: the characters making their judgments.
1: Exactly. So I guess another layer of irony because it really seems like Shakespeare doesn't trust a crowd, but at the same time Well, no, I guess it's not really ironic cuz he's not trusting us to make up our own <laughs> minds about the character of Caesar. He's telling mm. us through these other characters, what yeah. Caesar is like. Yeah. He retains... Shakespeare retains all of the power and control um, when it comes to the characterization of Caesar. And that is the only way that this play makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, I guess, kudos to Shakespeare for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was he pretty good at his job. Yeah,
1: Countryman. <laughs> Lend me your ears! I
0: come to bury Caesar not to praise him.
1: So... Coming to the idea of fate and free will, I think is another important one that mm-hmm. comes up, and, and that's really centered around um, two things: the the fact that uh, of the Ides of March, being yeah, it's being a, the biggest, yeah, yeah, and um, uh, Brutus's, uh, or sorry, Cassius's speech to Brutus about the fault in our stars: the fault mm-hmm. is not in our stars, but in ourselves, that we are um, servants to this great man. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that. That your fate is written, and that it can be read, and and you can act on it, but you can't change it, mm-hmm. is um, again something that that was probably pretty prevalent um, in Elizabethan times and Shakespearean times, and certainly something that Shakespeare deals with a lot. Yeah, but it, and it was definitely something that was common at the time, which makes it so much more interesting that sh- that. Shakespeare has Caesar well and Caesar himself you know according to all the other sources really dismisses Calpurnia's Mm
0: -hmm. um you know her her prophetic dream
1: he dismisses the warning of the of the seer um beware the eyes of March he doesn't believe any of that which is hubris right that kind of you know fault that every great tragic character will have Um, Um, but it's interesting that, that this is something that's so central that you, you have a path that's written in the stars and yet you are going to ignore all the signs that point you to that
0: fault. and (laughs) And it is
1: really interesting that, that he's warned three times, I think, which is a good number. Yeah. Um. But in the last one, when Calpurnia begs him not to go and stabs herself in the thigh in order to prevent him from going, no, that's Portia who's stabs herself. That's Portia, herself. yeah, yeah, yeah. But either way, there are women who are telling people not to do things, <laughs> yeah, and they're yeah. ignored time and time and again. Um, Calpurnia is ignored, and um, and Caesar decides to go because he doesn't want to look weak. And there's yeah. there's kind of an interesting – I guess it relates back to both power – Mm -hmm. How a person is perceived, but also maleness and masculinity. Yeah, which Um, is a big part of this play too, yeah. Yeah, there's like a conflict there between, Mm -hmm. you know, having, being a passive participant in your life and and being that active masculine figure who can take charge. And and Caesar kind of embodies both, right? Because he almost doesn't go. Calpurnia does kind yeah, she of can, she convinces him. him. And then
0: he just has to get goaded on by like a couple lines from what's his name? Cai- Caius? Cassius? Cai- I don't remember who that One of the, one of the other sea guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shows up and is like, oh, no, no. First of all, she misinterpreted that dream. Yeah. It's a it, good dream. It's a good dream. And your blood is going to reinvent. Heal everything. Rome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah. And then he's like, oh, come on. What are you going to tell you that they're sick? What am I going to tell the Senate that you're sick? Like, come on. Yeah. You're, you're Caesar. Like, yeah. they're not going to believe that. And, yeah, it's it's this perfect conflu- con- conflux. Conflux again. I'm, confluence is the real word, but I was going to go with conflux. Thank you very much, Lindsay. Um, of these factors that that just kind of push him towards his ultimate fate. Yeah, and it, I think it's I think it's really interesting that this play is so concerned with. Um, fate and the higher powers and the powers of heaven to drive someone towards something. Yet it is always very clear decision points. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is free will. It is especially for Brutus. I think Caesar again. He's not much of a character. You don't get too much into his into his head. Yeah. It's all there for dramatic irony. But when you get to Brutus, it's like there are decision points. They are clear decision points. Do we murder Mark Antony? No, no, that'll be too bloody. We don't want to, we don't wanna, you know, bloody Rome forever. It's just, you know, we'll just kill Caesar. And then, you know, do we let him speak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll let him speak. You know, it's just like yeah. these are these are very specific decisions. But was that
1: not written in his stars too? See, this is yeah. this is the thing, right? Because free will versus determinism has always led to this argument between you and I. And so I we're gonna know. you know, we, we bicker on this podcast. That's why we exist. So I mean, why not lean into it right now? Because it really does seem like you it could go either way, right? You could say that Brutus is determining his future, or you can say that this was preordained. And yeah. he was always going to make this choice. He was always gonna betray Caesar, he was always going to um let Mark Antony
0: back in. Exactly,
1: right? Like, all of these things were were pre-ordained, predestined.
0: Yeah. Like, how can you know? It's true. I think that the thing that makes Brutus more interesting than Caesar is that Brutus is the clear leader, whereas Caesar's kind of manipulated and played with. Um, And to maybe, well, that's not true because, and that was one of the things, we watched the 2017 Uh,
1: All-female cast.
0: All-female cast stage production Mm -hmm. of Julius Caesar. And they cut out a scene early on uh, where Cassius uh, manipulates things so that there will be flyers and and notes sent into Brutus' home saying, you should really do this for the good of the Republic. Um, They just have Brutus getting the note and reading it. Um, They don't really address how it got there. Um, And in that production, Brutus very much is not only the central protagonist, but he's the only one making the decisions right um and he's he's the leader of the the conspiracy and he is i I feel like the play that production wants you to think that this is free will yeah um i i think a different production could very much have lean on it being like everybody's getting manipulated everybody is in some way or shape or form getting tossed and turned by the fates into their eventual path yeah um but yeah, I think I think I think this is yeah one where you could you could see it either way, and you could probably stage it either way.
1: Yeah, like the version that sense. we watched back in January, which the yeah. Winter Shakespeare Festival that put on here in Edmonton, um, felt very much like Cassius was the ringleader and Brutus was kind yeah. of being manipulated. Yes, and um, the version that we watched today, I mean, it was very cleverly staged. There was like a, a frame narrative around yeah. it of these women in a in a women's prison putting mm. on a play. So it was like a play within a play, really. And I think the the idea that the events of the play are being driven by free will but in a play within a play about women who are being incarcerated yeah. and have no free will yeah. is an interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is, right? Yeah. It's 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 um it makes it so much more complex and and meta in a way. Mm-hmm. Um that the original text just doesn't have because i don't i don't know that having cassius very clearly manipulating brutus um takes away from the fate or free will argument yeah because that could just be cassius being driven By his own stars to be manipulative and for sure, for sure. But the minute that you have any kind of question about um, Brutus's role, it does bring up. It does bring up interesting things about the free will versus determinism argument, and I
0: think that's, I think that's one of the again one of the things that brings people back to this play is you know what is how much of it is led by the, the gods. I mean, why did Caesar's ghost show up twice? Yeah. Again to Brutus, right? Like is it were the were the gods doing this? Was the Christian god doing this? Was mm-hmm. that just Caesar's own force of will brought him back, you know? Right. Um and Caesar, you know, he said at one point, he's like, yeah. "Why, why? I will this thing. I'm, I'm willing myself to go." Or no, I he didn't want to. Yeah, he was saying I will that,
1: not go to the Senate. Ce- I will not go Senate. to the
0: Senate. My will, will
1: will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> will
0: drive this right. Like his will is so powerful that he can, he can bring himself back. So is that literally just him? Is that his Caesar's free will? But infringing on everything else. But then does but yet that? yet he's up being, not.
1: He, his will does not is not strong enough because the slightest question about his health and masculinity, yeah. you know, causes him to backpedal and, and head to the Senate anyway. Yeah, You know, and that he, he can't be seen as womanly. And I think that that does lead into it, it dovetails very nicely with the, the women yeah. in the play, because um, free will is a very masculine concept. Mm-hmm. If you can control your identity, if you have agency, you are masculine, you are a man. If you yeah. do not have agency... If you are not able to exert control, if you're just a passive person, that's a very feminine thing. Yep. So the women are the ones who have prophecies and and visions, yes, yes. Calpurnia dreams of these things, um, the seer or the. It's almost
0: always a woman. played by one or seem, yeah. or
1: or is is effeminate anyway. Yeah. Um, but and then and then also, I mean, depending on how you play Brutus. Because both productions that we watched this year—the live production and the one today—Brutus is played by a woman. Mm-hmm. So it's it is very interesting to have to have that character played by a woman because it reminds you of how easily you can take the agency away from a character like Brutus. Mm-hmm. But 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 again, yeah, interestingly, yeah. in the production the twenty seventeen yeah. production that we watched today. Yeah. Brutus does seem to take control of things. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's not clear. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm struggling to make an argument here, but Well,
0: I no, I don't think I don't know if there is much of an argument to make so much as what the play is telling us about masculinity as yeah. being that active um virile. Yeah. Kind of thing, right? Where it's it is it, and it is juxtaposed to the, the softness and the passivity and the womanly heart of Portia. Um, yeah. Especially she, her, she's kind of held up as like, she can't even decide what to send her servant to go do in town. She's just like, go to the town. What do you want me to do there? Just go. Like, yeah. You know, like she literally can't even make up a mind about um, what she actually wants her yeah. servants to do. Um, and I think that that's interesting, especially within the Roman context, because, uh, Rome was obviously very sexist and and very male-dominated. Um, and there, there's two points I want to make. One is that the the women still played an important part in sure. ancient Rome. And Caesar and all the other ones married p- the daughters of their political peers. Um, and those alliances or were foes, like... foes. Yeah, mean. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and those alliances were really, really important. But then uh, the men could never really be... Friends. There was never any permanent friendship because as soon as like uh Caesar married uh Pompey's I'm saying I'm sure I'm butchering the no, pronunciation, Pompey. but uh Pompey's daughter, uh-huh. uh he married her first, and as soon as she died, he basically declared war on Pompey. Like it was is it was yeah, yeah, a yeah. permanent, hard, fast alliance that they formed until the woman died. And then it was like, oh now, now I can stab you in the back. And this is like <laughs> like so what kind of situation is that where the, the bonds that might have been formed through marriage don't last as soon as the woman's gone like the men cannot form real caring bonds and we see it between mark antony and octavius in this and then eventually in mark antony and cleopatra it shows up again right um so i think we'll come back to that question probably too but so it's just it's a really really kind of damning indictment of male friendship which is something shakespeare's audience usually would have associated with you only had male friends yeah but here None of the men trust each other. Well, None of the men care for each other really. It is, except for Caesar. Everybody loves Caesar.
1: Everybody loves Caesar because he's he's the ideal. Mm. Not because of the man himself, I think. That's fair. But but I will say I think the the argument that Brutus and Cassius get into where they don't want to do that in front of the men. They don't want to do it in front of their mm. troops. So they take it into private, into yeah. the privacy of a tent. And then when we discuss when we when brutus discusses the death of his wife it's the only time when when the men seem to um rally around him in a in a weird way yeah, they they talk about him so it it's interesting that the death of portia brings people to brutus and he shrugs them off he doesn't want to talk about it anymore but um yeah that's it's a good point that you made though that that um There don't seem to be as many strong bonds of friendship. Yeah. Because it can just be so easily broken by your political leanings or Mm -hmm. um, the needs of the moment. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's – Mark Antony obviously exposes that the most by – you know, swaying the crowd and saying, "Oh yeah, I'll speak on your behalf, Brutus. Don't worry, I won't stab you in the back." And then,
1: <laughs> and then immediately does well. And and funnily enough, because uh, there's so much irony in that in that speech that <laughs> yeah. that Brutus or sorry that Antony gives because he. He's like, well, I'm not as good as Brutus, and he's way better than Brutus. <laughs> way like, better. These amazing orator. It's one of the greatest speeches in yeah, in the, in the entire language. Shakespearean yeah. canon, or yeah. yeah, maybe in the the whole canon, but uh, or sorry, in the whole English language So Yeah, I think that, that's canon. That works yeah. either way. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a lot of rhetorical flourishes, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of really um, powerful stuff that's being said. When at the same time that he's like, well, I'm not actually that good, mm-hmm. right? so it's um yeah it's fun it it's a fun I don't know I I forgot my point I'm just so enamored of that speech I started kind of falling in love no, with it all I, over again
0: and I agree I think it's one of, like if if I could go back in time and force 15 uh, year old Aiden to memorize a Shakespearean it would speech, be that one it because it's just so I mean it is it's probably the pinnacle of of pure rhetoric in terms of Shakespeare, well,
1: and Cassius has his moments too. When Cassius' well, yeah. speech to Brutus oh, is also sure. quite moving and and absolutely impressive, and and suggests something noble almost in the in mm-hmm. the way that they're going about this. Even yeah. though we know Cassius is a bit of a, a sleaze, yeah, or he's portrayed that way, um, yeah. <laughs> you can kind of understand why Brutus would would fall in line it's it's the oratorical flourish that brutus has drawing on our ancestors and yeah and the honor and how we're not that different from shakespeare from caesar (laughs) see i did it again (laughs) oh my god um uh, again another um uh thing that shakespeare comes back to a lot is you know what's in a name right and Mm -hmm. and caesar's name is just as sweet as romeo's right if you you know but um
0: (laughs) But yeah,
1: it's it's, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the the role of art and drama and theater and and all of that. I think that the 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 rhetorical flair. What's that? Flair. Flair. The rhetorical flair present in the play is definitely um, a key ingredient to how people act, where they act, why they act. It's words that draw people. I mean, and that's that's what we'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk. Yeah, we're, getting we're, getting there. There. we're getting there. We're getting Cause there. Because I think the next thing I want to talk about is is kind of um, arrogance versus humility versus ambition,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which are not always versus one another, but but it's yeah,
0: they're tied together in this play at least. Yeah, yeah.
1: because you've got the arrogance of the conspirators and the potential arrogance of Caesar. Mm-hmm. You've got um, Mark Antony's humility in. His speech, which may or may not be true, may or may not be a put on. It's I think on. I think it's a put on. I don't <laughs> think he's he's truly being humble. Yeah. Um, Brutus has moments of humility that I think are much more um, honest. Honest. Uh, yeah. Um, Shakespeare's Caesar's potential ambition <laughs> um, versus the um, the ambition of the conspirators. Yeah. And all of these things are are kind of contrapuntal in a way. They they mm-hmm. really do play off one another, and you're forced to see see things in in binary or in pairs, really, right? There's um, Caesar and Brutus. There's Caesar and Mark Antony. There's Brutus and Mark Antony. There's Brutus and Cassius. They're all played in relation to one another, yeah. and it always seems to hinge on who is being humble and who is pretending to be humble who is arrogant and and who is
0: perhaps- openly ambitious versus yes yes yeah yeah
1: yeah right and i think that is um but it's still subtle <laughs> it's not like it's it's macbeth's ambition yeah. which is very much out in the open yeah. it's not um the 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 put on humility of Hamlet.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it, I'd, I'd say this is like Shakespeare's kind of like opening salvo. Uh, yeah, about the, <laughs> these topics, yeah. really. Like, and it's and it's actually kind of all here, mm-hmm. um, in maybe more interesting ways. I think Julius Caesar's ambition compared to Macbeth's is actually more interesting because we don't know whether it's real or not. So then it becomes a springboard again for the other characters to project their own yeah. sense of ambition onto yeah. it. Um, I think the humility aspect is very much in keeping with like um, almost Hal, you know? Like, was he really a man of the... Hum- a humble man of the, pers- of the people? Yeah. Or was he all along noble and ambitious and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these are kind of like things that he he delves into in more detail in the other plays, but they're all here and they're key to Brutus and to Mark Antony yeah. and even to Octavius later on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's setting the stage for all these character interactions, um, these these concerns about what is good and, and is it uh, virtue um, to be ambitious at times, you know? Like, these kind of questions kind of come up and it's, I don't think there's a... There's a firm answer here well, really.
1: Yeah, I think um it does seem to me like Shakespeare is is asking us to question a, the virtue or the nobility of mm-hmm. these various aspects, which yeah. I think um one of the questions we we were going to talk about but I think we're going to leave for um for our uh, ancient bickerings today is a question we've we've talked about with the history plays is 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 what makes a good leader who is the ideal leader in this Mm -hmm. play and i think that's a central question that shakespeare wants us to wants wants us to ask at least even if we can't answer it and and looking at who has the most noble or virtuous um position would be the the person that would be the, the ideal leader maybe. right yeah. like like leadership you need to have arrogance to be a leader you need to have humility you need to have ambition you need to have all three of these things in a kind of balance no one character seems to have all of them at any one time in balance yeah right so except maybe Mark Antony I don't know
0: no well, I don't think so you don't think so Again, we're going to come back to this. We're going to come back so to this, Let's I know. Let's not know. dive too much into but it, but is, that's a good question. is yeah.
1: arrogance or humility or ambition considered a virtuous thing?
0: Yeah, I don't think the play answers that.
1: The play doesn't answer that <laughs> at all. Um, I think that it, it, of all three of those, probably humility is is the one. Because it seems like being humble, um, if you aren't humble, you're going to have a much harder fall than if you are Understanding of your position and and not overreaching
0: in your i disagree but okay
1: yeah so i don't really know what i'm getting at here with the with the arrogance humility ambition thing i i feel like i had a point and i'm again <laughs> i'm con- i'm 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 lost in my own thoughts again
0: that's okay it happens um <laughs> i think it's fair because i think I think honor is kind of another one we'd uh, we mentioned briefly in our notes here about uh, how honor also plays a key role in terms of the characters' motivations and how they perceive each other and how that then in turn influences their their choices and their ambitions and their uh, their drives. Right, like um, Cassius and Brutus are worried that Caesar has has been putting too much honor into Rome like a piggy bank, and he's yeah. going to crack it open and take over the whole place with the money that he saved up, Kay. with the honor that he's kind of accrued over the time, right? Right. And then, uh, you know, Brutus is an honorable man. You know, Mark Antony is playing with the idea of honor as another source, another virtue that that people can, um, that people possess, and then uh, they use...
1: As a cudgel almost. Yeah, to, exactly. Yeah.
0: And... And so it's it's these, these elements are just crisscrossing in terms of um, what... I think, honestly, at the end of the play, it's kind of like, well, who's a good person out of all this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I'm not too sure. The play... Thinks anybody is. I think.
1: Well, well, the end of the play it ends with Mark Antony saying that all of the conspirac- conspirators are bad people except for Brutus. He's the only honorable person. Which yeah. I, I, it's never. I haven't seen it, and I've seen this play performed three times. I've never seen it played not straight yeah yeah
0: like, he's the, like Mark Antony oh,
1: yeah. honestly perceives Brutus as being an honorable person so I think we're supposed to read Brutus as an honorable person who has yeah. been led astray or whose stars just happen to align in a way that makes him act dishonorably but does that not well, make did, him a dishonorable person
0: yeah I, I mean well and that's that's maybe the, the key question of the play is can you be an honorable person while
1: doing bad things
0: or was it a good thing was the murder of Caesar a good thing?
1: Well, and that and you're right. That is the central question because <laughs> it 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 feels like it depends on your motivations. Yeah. It depends on why you're doing the things you're what? doing for Cassius and for the other conspirators who we don't really we don't really understand a lot of the reason why Casca or Cinna or you know, any of the other um conspirators are doing what they're doing. They're just blindly following Cassius. Cassius seems to want to do this for reasons unknown. He doesn't seem to like Caesar at all, yeah. But but Brutus, because he's a friend of Caesar's, but he's convinced that what Caesar's doing is bad. Um, he's he's doing it in the service of a, of another good. Yeah, he's doing a bad. The ends justify the means for him very yeah. much. Whereas for the other characters, we don't know what their means are, so we can't really say what yeah. the what the ends if the ends justify that. So. In that case, I think it's it's very complex when you look at Brutus because he is the protagonist, he's an he's almost an anti-hero along the same lines as Tony Soprano, right? Where you're doing these bad things but in the service of some greater good. Yeah. So doesn't that count for something? Yeah. You know, if the good place were a real thing, you know, how would the balance of yeah. of sin, vice, and virtue be balance be weighed for him? Yeah.
0: And I think, yeah, and I agree. I think Antony, at least, does seem to offer a, a pretty strong support of Brutus as, as a good person at the end of the day. Um, but... I, I I think the and I I feel like part of that is is kind of like a Christian dogma kind of coming back in, in the form of the ghost, especially as being yeah. like like Hamlet's go Hamlet's father's ghost. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 a personification of of an evil that's been done. So the murder of of Caesar was evil, but uh, Brutus is appropriately uh, guilt ridden over it. Yeah, you know he 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 understands that. Again, murder is bad, and murdering your friends especially is bad. Um,
1: was I right to do but, this? Was I, I right I, to do it? And the fact I, that he
0: grapples with yes. it, I think, is maybe the, the, the point that uh, none of the other characters get.
1: Well, and that's and that's coming back to the whole arrogance, humility, and ambition thing, because that, that seems to suggest that Brutus is not an arrogant person, mm-hmm. because he doesn't believe wholeheartedly in the rightness of his actions, you know, without question. There is no ambition he doesn't want to take over the role that caesar had yeah there is a, a sense of humility there in in the fact that he he does allow this ghost to exist and he doesn't question or dismiss what he's seen he just accepts that i've maybe not done the right thing and then yeah. in the end he he commits suicide and he doesn't he asks someone to hold the sword so he yeah. can run on it but in most depictions you know it's He's propping up the sword or he's he's committing the act himself. He's not engaging, unlike Cassius, who actually has his slave do it for him, yeah. um, which kind of engages another man's soul in your sin, right? Brutus does it himself, which is what I perceived as Mark Antony's... Yeah, um, yeah. Praise for him. Praise it's for him. Is that, that, yeah. he, he died yeah. an honorable death because yeah. he took his own life rather than asking somebody else to do it for him, yeah. weirdly. But um, it's... Uh, He's he's definitely not the. He's not an evil character outright. He's not no. Iago. He's not no. Claudius. He's not uh, Lady Macbeth. He's not you know a purely nasty, evil, manipulative character. Even Cassius is not that evil. No, there's exactly. there's some real moral ambiguity there. Yeah, and I think that's the only the only way that you're allowed to get to the end of the play and feel that there might be honour there. Yeah. To be or not to be. That is the question. So the last thing that we kind of want to talk about is um, the the meta-narrative, meta-fiction. Um, the, the, the way that Shakespeare brings in all of these things about art and drama and theatre again. Yeah. Um, commenting on... The thing that we're watching or the thing that we're reading, the play itself. And Shakespeare does this a lot. We've talked about this before. Um, there are a few instances in the play where um, the action is commented upon as if it's going to be recorded for posterity, mm-hmm. which it certainly was, right? I mean, yeah. the, the I can't remember the line and I don't remember who says it, but they're like, how many more times will this be you know, shown on, on stage in front yeah. of people kind of thing, right? Anticipating. From the future, looking back, yeah, on anticipating that this will be a renowned event. Yes, you know,
0: in two thousand years later, it is, is. So right, well done. <laughs>
1: um, so so there's that aspect of it that Shakespeare is very consciously commenting on the theatrical aspects of what we're watching and yeah. and the literary, um, aspect of of the story that we're being told, but there's also like a political theater that's happening here too, um, I think we're going to do an episode on Shakespeare and politics coming up here, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe it's our next episode actually. But um, the idea that that rhetoric can be employed to serve a purpose, not just to convey information. This isn't Saint Crispin's Day speech, which is to rally the troops. Yeah, it's um, it's it's manipulative. Yeah. Even Mark Antony and and Brutus, their speeches at uh, Caesar's funeral are um, are very politically, rhetorically, Mm -hmm.
0: um, weighty, weighty, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I think there's a suggestion that that Caesar's actions are also theatrical. He yes, faints when yes. he's offered the crown for the third time, and 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 that's something that the conspirators are grappling with. And again, we don't see this happen; we're only yeah. hearing it yeah. told to us. But there is something theatrical about that. Mm-hmm. And when um is it is it Casca who comes in, and he's the one yeah. who explains? You know, the second time he he lingered, his hands lingered a little bit mm-hmm. on the crown, and then the third time he fainted. It feels like an escalation. It feels like a dramatic you know it's it's caesar being in very much in control of the crowd and 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 the the image that he wants to portray mm-hmm. um so that's that's noteworthy i think that that we see this yeah. depiction of political theater yeah yeah which is something we're very still very much aware of today
0: yeah it's it's the I want to say like honesty versus um, travesty, but that's not no. that's not really what. I, but it, it's it's well, there's the, a,
1: there's a true honesty, and then there's political honesty. Well,
0: no, I mean, yeah, and it's 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 grandstanding versus yes. um, something heartfelt, and yes. I think like all politicians um, aim for the heartfelt. Um, at all times. And so when they're so obviously just politicking, it comes across as bad and people recognize this. This yeah. is something that's baked into our modern day understanding of politics is that politicians are lying to you and they don't they they're trying to manipulate you in order to support what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And we're very much aware of it because we live in a republic and and we have free press that comments on these things and what have you. Um but I think Shakespeare and in Shakespeare's time, it would have been uh, much less apparent. I think the plays are are giving you. Uh,
1: like a, I, a guidebook almost yeah, to it, understanding yeah, the, it, the manipulation. Yeah,
0: it's. it's. I think.
1: You don't think people in the Elizabethan time knew they were well, being manipulated?
0: For sure, of okay. course. You get like the town crier saying, oh, announcing the same propaganda they've heard for three weeks. Yeah, like, yeah. They get it, right? Okay. But, but at the same time, I think um, the nuance and the. Um, the effectiveness of the lever pulling that go on in this play are um, are are a much more pertinent commentary for our age as opposed to Shakespeare's age I think um, it's hard to imagine Shakespeare um, coming out and saying yeah that that queen lady she's just playing all you guys all the time right like it's 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 kind of a warning, but I feel like the reason we understand that this is what politicians do partly is because of things like this play.
1: Yeah, it's it's very much <laughs> pay no attention to the man behind the curtain while you're showing the man behind the curtain and yeah, what's happening. Yeah. Without overtly saying it, it you're showing how, how it's effective and yeah. how it's used.
0: I, I think the scene with Brutus and Antony is one of the things that leads people to, you know, you can bring it up and say, that's what Hitler did. Right. You know, like you can say, this is how politicians play people sometimes. Yeah. And I'm sure it, exi- it existed in the histories itself mm-hmm. and all sorts of things. I, you know, he had sources for it and what have you. Um, but I think a lot of uh, the reason we are so um, immune to a lot of that these days is because of examples like this. I think I think Shakespeare's influence in yeah, okay. telling this kind of story uh, has had a long lasting impact on our political discourse.
1: Save it for our Shakespeare politics. You're going to okay. want to tune into that episode because I, yeah. I think that's going to be a good one. Um, the last little bit about art I think is just the reference to poets and poetry in the, in the play. You have, um, uh, the poignant scene sort of, it always upsets me when Cinna the poet is oh, yes. killed by the mob. <laughs> yeah. Um, because being he has the same mistaken. Name as, yeah. yeah, not even really being mistaken. It's just literally the same name and they're going to kill him for his bad verses instead of even though they know he's not the same guy. Um there's there's something happening there when a, when a poet inserts poets into a story. It's we're again, we're watching the Western right now, and anytime yeah. uh, Toby Ziegler mentions being a writer, I see Aaron Sorkin just yeah. writing that oh, scene. Yeah. It's like they're saying something, and in Aaron Sorkin's case, I think it's just ego stroking, but yeah. but I don't know what Shakespeare is doing here. I, I, I get why he's um, meta commenting on the act of putting on a play. With the events yeah. of fifteen hundred years ago, with the characters commenting on those events as he's putting on the play, like I get that there's a really interesting um, uh, melange of ideas that are happening there, and I and I get that and I like it, and I know what he's doing by commenting on the political theater of the speeches. I don't I don't know why he writes poets into his plays or why he writes writing into his plays? Why this play?
0: I thought it was just a funny scene. You just thought it was a funny <laughs> scene? There's no poignant
1: <laughs> underpinning to no, it or anything? No, think, I think
0: the fact that he's... I think it's it's more in all the other stuff we've talked about. I think the poet um, aspect is just that, um, you know... Uh, yeah, I just think it's a funny scene. That's just me. I don't know. Do you do you actually see more? I don't of know. I don't know. <laughs> I thought we would asking, have more I'm,
1: of a discussion about it and you've no, just been like, nope, I'm not not interested.
0: Well I just I don't know. I, I I'm having a hard time as well drawing anything else out of it. But because um, it's such a short lived scene and the fact that I think it also does explain or uh, go into the ease with which again the public is swayed and turned into a bloodlust. Um, you know, just literally having the same name and the guy, well, we'll rip him in half. Well,
1: but stuff. then but then it is interesting because, you know, the power of a poet to affect change is not the same in the play, in the world of the play.
0: Sure. Yeah. As
1: it is in the world of Shakespeare or th- our world today, well, where I, the the words yeah. of a, the poet, Shakespeare, can have a dramatic effect on our political discourse 500 yeah. to 600 years later. But Sinna's words do not have... The, the same effect on the crowd that he's dealing with. Yeah. And they, they pick apart his meaning. Yeah. They're looking for double meanings. He yeah, says, yeah. wisely, I am unmarried. Well, then a fool is the only one who must be married. They're looking for yeah, meaning yeah. in in the words that he's saying where there That's maybe isn't yeah. any extra meaning. I, I, I don't know. You could really pick apart his, what he well, says I mean, the double meaning, the doublespeak, I guess, true. of I mean, what's the, being The said. one
0: guy whose job it is is to use words cannot yeah. save himself using words whereas yeah. everybody else does. Yeah, right? like, exactly. It is, maybe that, yeah. There's so, I mean,
1: is that is that a, a comment, is that Shakespeare you know, denigrating his profession or commenting think, on the limit of his power? I think it's
0: more denigrating the crowd still. Denigrating I, the crowd, I'd I do say, think
1: you're right, it's
0: Because, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, like the, they've been turned into such a state by Antony that the guy who's literally the best at words can't turn them around you know
1: now the words just aren't enough
0: Yeah, anymore. I think it's past the point of words. Maybe, and and, and, that that does happen after the turning point. And this is this is
1: the thing. So I'm I'm now drawing a comparison in my head between the conspirators and the mob that um, kills Cinna and QAnon and the other conspiracy (laughs) theorists that exist out there, where the words no longer matter, truth and facts no longer matter, and it's just about what you believe or what you can pick apart. So so when the the mob. Guy number one says, "You know, starts picking apart what Cinna is saying, yeah. um, looking for alternate meanings. It's it's like the guy on Reddit looking for evidence of Pizzagate, yeah. you know. And so it's, and
0: there's always going to be evidence because yeah, because lack can of evidence exactly is, is proof is evidence. that there's evidence. Yeah.
1: So it's it's almost in a weird way a prescient commentary on. um uh what we're dealing with now it's it's very applicable to the kind of mob rule that can take over in um yeah, in politics, uncurated yeah. spaces i guess like the internet right we're in the the world of politics
0: something interesting to think about i guess
1: if i longer stay we shall begin our ancient bickerings.
0: so for this week's ancient bickering we're turning to that question that Lindsay uh, highlighted earlier is there an ideal character in this play? Well,
1: an ideal leader, an ideal leader yes.
0: character in this play. Um, I'm going to go first yeah. because I already thought of one, and I, I, you actually mentioned it earlier, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of was like no, and then I'm like wait, <laughs> but maybe yes, uh, and I'm going to say Mark Antony. Okay, um, and I will say this because he, um, he was true to himself okay. and, and that's it's a strange thing to say because he was mostly true to Caesar but he viewed himself as Caesar's um right-hand man he was he was there to honor Caesar yeah um not to bury him right <laughs> uh so you know he's he's uh he exhibits all those characteristics um and in a slightly negative form but I think it that's that's not a negative in terms of the play because the play is ambiguous about whether the murder of Caesar was a good thing or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I feel like the play is kind of leaning towards, again, it was inevitable. Caesar, someone was going to become a Caesar, whether it was Octavius or Julius doesn't really matter because the Republic was falling apart. And I think that's what the play is kind of leading up to. But Antony um, is honest, uh, in the sense that he, he ruthlessly pursues his goal of avenging Caesar. Yeah. Um, He's not honest to the the conspirators, but the conspirators were not ob- honest to Caesar either. So it's, you know, fair roundabout is fair play. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, ambitious in the sense that he gets it done, mm-hmm. um, but he's not necessarily over ambitious in terms of wanting to take over all the power in the world. He's willing to share with Octavius. There's the third guy who shows up in a scene and Antony just makes fun of him and is like, this is the guy we're going to share power with. Right. All right. All right. Whatever. Um, you know, he... I feel like he's humble in in the in his major speech, um, and it's a way to avoid having to be humble in the future. It's I don't know. Antony is is just he's an interesting character in that um, he's he's kind of like a mini Caesar, um, but just far more wily. And smart and capable of getting away with it in the end,
1: and that makes him a, an ideal leader.
0: Yeah, because that's that's kind of where because I think again Caesar's kind of held up as the ideal leader, and Mark Antony's kind of the closest we get to him, which is mm-hmm. funny because then Octavius was the actual one who yeah. went on and did it. And I think when we go back to Antony and Cleopatra in a yeah. couple episodes, we might find it there. Um, is it a couple episodes Lindsay you're looking it's at quite list. a few it's, okay it's, so in a, quite a few episodes yeah. <laughs> we'll come back to this one though um because yeah i think the the caesar's ghost hangs over both of these plays right um and in this one though i feel like anthony is the one who most personifies caesar's capabilities so i get i guess my real answer is caesar but of the characters <laughs> who are actual characters <laughs> yes, okay. it's Antony. okay sorry
1: <laughs> interesting what do you think um I don't think there is an ideal leader portrayed and I think that's the point of the play. Okay. I think what what and this is just my personal opinion, it's almost like saying that the the fall, the collapse of the Roman Empire, the Roman Republic is the fault of the leadership vacuum that exists where mm. there's no one who is capable of steering the ship anymore. And I think I think you're right that Caesar comes the closest. And if he had lived, there, there, you know, whether or not he would have taken the crown or the the laurels um, is kind of a secondary question. It's it's the people, not that you can trust the people necessarily, but but he had their trust. Yeah. And nobody else, nobody else can live up to that. Anthony does come close though so I will give you that but I don't think that there's any yeah. ideal leader being portrayed I just don't see any real leadership qualities well, in any of the characters they have flashes of it yeah but I don't think they ever fully embody it and I think that's that's what I was getting at when we were talking about the 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 balance of what they what um, traits they have, none of them ever really hold yeah. them all in balance. Yeah, and there's always something that's that's going to tip them over, right?
0: Yeah, and I, I when he, when you initially asked the question, Lindsay, I was mm-hmm. going to say Brutus because he is kind of the main character and sure. he is the honorable leader, but he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like he's not a good leader, mm-hmm. <laughs> as I've made clear in my uh, character assassination of him many times. This episode. <laughs> uh you know, he's he's really not. Uh, capable the way that Caesar is, he's kind of the anti Caesar. Mm-hmm. But Caesar's not a great leader either, and he also allows himself to be manipulated. So yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to concede this one to you, Lance. Because I, <laughs> the more you, the more you say it, I'm more. I'm like, yeah. There's, there's nobody who really stands out. This is a play about leadership and power vacuums and, you know, well, it's, a it's- republic versus a dictatorship. And there's no one person anywhere along the way who who really stands out. But
1: and and I think that's because they're just, they're, you, for the first time Shakespeare is being true to the source material, and yeah. there was no happy ending. This is how it ended. Yeah. This is what kind of what what you could look at is the the start of the fall of the Roman Republic, and, and so. It is a power vacuum. Mm-hmm. There is no leader. If there was a leader that that Shakespeare had written, then it would be plausible that the Roman Republic wouldn't have collapsed. Yeah, but or, the or, fact
0: is it did. Yeah, or they could have advanced time and right. wrapped up Antony and Cleopatra into this play as well. Sure, and, I suppose. And done it all and then have Octavius be that character. Um, but yeah, as a standalone play with Julius Caesar in the title card— Who's barely a character? Yeah. There's barely a leader. I think I think that's fair to say. I have a question. A follow up question. Kind of. Okay. So Julius Caesar
1: was his name. Yes. But Caesar became a title. Yeah. Because of Julius Caesar?
0: Well, because of Octavius Caesar.
1: He was a he took the name. Caesar well, he took it. From, well, well a, he a, he was an adopted son
0: of Caesars, of Julius Caesars. And he became Whoa, a, he, he became Emperor Augustus the first or Octavius the first. I don't remember. He became the first emperor. Um, yeah, he was the adopted son. Huh. And I think or adopted nephew. One of the he was he not was a, family, but yeah. family. He made made family, and he was like a super genius. Like yeah, every every uh, fictional depiction of him is like him, like a savant type, big Just brain. Like, yeah, big brain, big brain energy from from Octavius. So so um,
1: Caesar Caesar became the title yeah because of the name the name yeah interesting
0: yeah and it is it's our
1: yeah no it's it's, it's Kaiser, lived to it's, this day and and yeah. and also i think the name means to like cut or stab
0: yeah doesn't it yeah yeah Caesar which salad. is big 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 stab st- energy big stab energy you want to chop up that lettuce
1: <laughs> i don't know we're tired <laughs> yeah this is this has obviously been way too long of an episode <laughs> What are we doing next, Aiden?
0: Well, next we're doing uh, Shakespeare and politics. It is the
1: next episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I think that'll be really good.
0: What's our next play, though?
1: Following that as you like it. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, so switching gears entirely to another comedy. Yeah. Um, You are not for all markets. (laughs) Thanks. Not you. Not you. Not the play either. Just my favorite line from that play. It is. It's a good line. (laughs) It is a good line. Um, So, yeah, that was... uh, arousing discussion full of lots of non-sequiturs and weird tangents yeah, and our, our, and
0: our oratory f- drastically clearly, failed to meet uh, clearly the, not. the levels of Caesar or any of the other characters or, or even
1: funny. the lowliest of, of Roman citizens
0: yeah they would all school especially in Latin
1: yeah yeah.
0: because my Latin extends as far as that lesson they gave in uh, Monty Python that's about as far as I go
1: post hoc ergo propter hoc hey that's better Way to go, Western! After, therefore, because of
0: it. Yeah, after yeah. It, therefore, because of
1: it. Yeah, yeah. See, so I, I could school that. I, I know my Latin.
0: I'm sure you mispronounced it terribly. Probably.
1: You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix.
0: If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at BixPod, On
1: Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod. Or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. <laughs> that's our cue to exit.